Hi, Tim Burgess here with a message before the podcast. Due to rights reasons, the songs have been shortened for this podcast. Every song is taken from Glass Vegas' debut album. All tracks are written by James Allen, except where noted. Flowers and Football Tops contains elements of the song You Are My Sunshine by Mitchell forward slash Davis. Stabbed uses the music of Ludwig van Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. Las Vegas was released on 8th of September 2008 on Columbia. Now enjoy the podcast. Tim's listening party was a lockdown sensation. Unfortunately, it was on Twitter, which you can't listen to. But Absolute Radio has the solution. Tim Burgess explores seminal albums alongside the artists who brought them to life. Absolute Radio presents Tim's Listening Party with Tim Burgess. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Tim's Listening Party on Absolute Radio with me, Tim Burgess, where I sit down with an artist to play back a classic album together. So far, we've had listening parties with everyone from Def Leppard, U2, Texas, The Bangles, The Kinks, and many more. If you've missed any, make sure to catch up by searching for Tim's Listening Party wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to get involved on Twitter throughout the show by tweeting at Tim underscore Burgess and at Absolute Radio using the hashtag Tim's Twitter Listening Party. Born in Glasgow, their thought-provoking lyrics against a more sprawling take on indie rock attracted fans in the music press, amongst other bands and the public. The enemy declared, if the Libertines define the start of the decade and Arctic Monkeys its middle, then Las Vegas are almost certainly going to define its end and beyond. Their self-titled first record went platinum and earned the band a Mercury Prize nomination. Las Vegas by Las Vegas stands out as one of the best debuts of the decade. It's James and Rab Allen from Las Vegas. This is Tim Burgess and I'd like to welcome you to another listening party. Today, tonight, I'm delighted to be joined by James and Rab from Las Vegas and we'll be talking about their debut album... Las Vegas. How are you doing, lads? James is serenading. Wow. Well, that, that was. I mean, that that was. I mean, the, the most amazing thing. Matt Johnson brought in his uh, Omnicord and showed me how this is the day was written. So I think uh, this is on par with having an instrument in the in the room. You know, it's a it's, it's a wonderful thing. But uh, to be serenaded by a piano. Um, on the intro is the first and it's a beautiful thing so how, how are you doing <laughs> good. very good very good so um, what was the driving force about you getting in a band together and uh, 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 making this wonderful debut record so both of us are from Glasgow uh, our mums are twin sisters so uh, we grew up together kind of more like brothers than cousins but we never played music James played uh, football he was a professional football player uh, I played computer games and I like to drink, <laughs> so we were pretty, pretty, pretty different ends of the spectrum. And then uh, we ended up playing guitars. We were a bit too embarrassed to tell each other. I don't remember how we each found out. And then after that, we just kind of started playing songs. And James had a good set of pipes on him, so he was the singer. Yeah, I could play the solo and live forever by Oasis. So then I became lead guitarist. And then mm. yeah, that's kind of how it how it started. And then James kind of started writing songs and quite like things kind of started happening quite quick after that, I guess. What was the first song mm-hmm. that you wrote, James? It was a song called um, Everybody Knows How To Smile. There's bits like about my budgie. <laughs> I had a budgie, this little budgie. Yeah. And it, uh, it flew into the bath. <laughs> Oh, and I wasn't laughing. Yeah, I wasn't laughing was, at the death of the budgie. <laughs> no, I was laughing. At, I was laughing. There's an image in my head that. Can, anyway, 
I'm disused. I'm disused to that's the reaction that always gets. It always gets that reaction, <laughs> and I couldn't understand that for years because I was absolutely distraught. Yeah, and, um, of course. I, I, I was the one. I was the one that, that found found the budget floating in the bath, <laughs> and I, and I don't know if I've, I've, I've maybe thought about it too much, but I did. I did think, did it jump, or was it an accident? I don't know. Did it have that lousy time hanging with me that I just thought <laughs> I'm just jumping in the bath here? I think you had some of the first songs, the songs of the first album, quite early on as well. I think. Yeah. I think, I think Flowers of Football Tops was quite early, Ghost Girl Go was quite early. They were a wee bit different then, but I'm sure we had them like pretty early on as well, maybe maybe as early as 2006. Uh-huh. I mean, I was going through the record earlier and I think, you know, I mean, it's it's an astonishing record, an amazing debut, and we should go through it track by track and um, Flowers and Football Tops. This, this is the one there. that I remember kind of doing quite early on. So we used to use a drum machine before... Caroline could learn to play the drums. So to start with, we had a drum machine in this song. I think we did a demo really early on and it had a drum machine. Is that right, James? Mm-hmm. Aye, aye. Kind of really distorted drums and stuff. I think that was like the blueprint for a lot of the sound of the first album. Yeah. Um, with the drums and stuff. And because that was one of the first ones we had, I remember thinking like, I think that's how it's kind of got the sound in now. Everything seems to work for you quite quickly. I mean, certainly what I saw anyway. Because didn't you put didn't you load up some some YouTube videos of a couple of tracks early on and it was just like I, everything ev- everything just seemed so fully formed you know on, on so MySpace at the time that's that's how long ago it was um, yeah so like James James would record all the all the music in his own in his house so James would like disappear for a month we wouldn't rehearse or anything and he'd come back and he'd be like I've got this song right yeah. so flowers of football tops and then yeah yeah we would rehearse and we would learn it and then he'd go away and write another one and come back and that that kind of kept happening so every time he had a new song. We would just put it on MySpace. And that was kind of how Alan McGee got involved as well. Obviously, you know Alan, and that's kind of how he he get involved. You were talking about when I played football. I think it was just important, probably, to to mention that when I when I stopped playing football, um, it, you know, football music, like anything in life, you need to kind of give it everything, you know. And I think at that point, I'd fell in love with the idea of like writing music and. Uh, I remember uh, there'd be times when I'd not wanting to go into the training until the song had finished and stuff like that, and uh, sitting in the car or whatever. But the manager is a guy that I love, uh, that, I, that I still love. He's a great guy, he's a sweetheart. Oh, but he, no. had, he had to call me into the <laughs> office, and he was just like, "James, you can't, you can't come back. You can't come back." <laughs> and I was like, "But why? I'm, I'm under contract to the end of the season." And he says, "If you come back, I'm going to make you train with the 13-year-olds." And I really liked the guy, so I was just, I could see how desperate he was for me to go. So that was like, the no rejection, because it's like, you, you get used to that playing football anyway, but like it's yeah. then having nothing. And I remember, Rab, you had a Phil Spector box set. You gave me that box set, and I had nowhere to, nowhere to stay at the time or anything, so I'd get into this flat, no electricity and all that. And it was a power card thing, and I, got, I, I managed to get power cards somehow. Um, and it was the middle of the night, and um, and I remember when the power came on, and I had this CD player that was in the house. That was it, and I, and then having that box set, and then going through all that music, it was it was like almost some kind of like naff metaphor 
for like it's, the it's, 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 it's brilliant it's brilliant but that was the beginning I think let's start this listening party with the first track from your debut album it's Flowers and Football Tops my baby my Flowers and Football Tops by Las Vegas. He opened the track from their self-titled record. I really enjoyed reading that um, you were asked who your favourite lyricist was and you, without hesitation, said Robert Burns. Aye, well, my father, he recites a lot of Burns. Uh, to be honest, I've not got too broad a, um, knowledge on poets. I, I never read books, right. which is just, I know, I know it sounds like mental. Like what artist doesn't read books? It's like I I, I, I don't I, I don't never... read that many books. I really don't. I find it I find it a real struggle. I, I used to be I grew up on magazines, you know, and 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 I, and I find that good, you know, that's good, easy digestible thing. I, I I know what you mean about books. They can be a bit of an ordeal. <laughs> it can be. I, maybe it's I, my attention span. I, I don't know. I, I think it's mine as well. I think it is. But lyrics. I mean, my dad he'll recite Burns all the time to the point where like everybody's just like when, when we're going to eat food and he'll be reciting Burns and like everybody's just talking to each other. Nobody's <laughs> listening to that and he's just like giving it. You know what I mean? So that's, that, that's think, a brilliant image. I, I mean, you know, just finishing off on um, with the flowers and football tops. Uh, you know, the subject matter, uh, Chris Donald. Can you tell us how, you know, how that happened? You know, what's the story? For that, it was just that uh, I, I saw the, the boy's mother that was in the newspaper for everybody, I guess. It, it was just quite a uh, shock, you know. So I've never really been a lyrics guy. I've always kind of liked melodies. I, I know I know it was based on a, a real thing that happened, but the, the actual, the way that he did the lyrics, I thought was really clever. Yeah. I just thought at that point, I thought he was starting to get a really good lyricist. And then I think from that then sprung a few other songs that started coming in that were just quite good. The music we listened to was always just about if it was something in the music that would be like uh, some beauty or some... I always remember me and him would talk about and we would always play it back, play it back, and it would be the Surfer Girl by the Beach Boys. And there's a Amazing. part where this... I think it's maybe Carol Wilson maybe that does the vocal that comes in maybe halfway through the song. And we would just keep rewinding and rewinding and just listening. It was more in the sound rather than the words. And I would feel the feeling a lot of the time. But I wouldn't think, oh, this is good words. This is, yeah. I guess there must, there must have been some kind of balance though that when you look at it, there's a feeling in you that you know that it's uh, complete or it's not complete, one of the two. Uh, so I guess there must have been something like that. I love the idea that you you know you were writing about real people though you know for the sake of this I mean who who was Chris Donald? So Chris was a a boy that was living in the south side of Glasgow. He was murdered. It was quite a horrific kind of thing. How old was he, Rob? Do you remember? He was I think he was fifteen. <laughs> it was such a big thing in, in Scotland at the time when it happened, and it was just everywhere. And his mum was in the news a lot and it was just heartbreaking like seeing that I can't ever remember like sitting down and thinking that I'm going to write about this thing or that thing mm-hmm. i tell you what happened with Flowers and Football Tops it was um, 
all the things that I'd read and all that, but then I was just sitting myself in the house, which I don't really do a lot. I don't really sit and play the guitar and sing myself. The only times that I sing is when I'm is when I'm on the stage and that. I'm right. more like a songbird. You know, like you get singers that sing away and they love the sound of their voice. But for whatever <laughs> reason I was I was I'm not like that. I, I'm not uh, like I that either. Sitting, <laughs> <laughs> I was singing the Buddy Holly, Love is Strange. Classic, right? Then I just started singing the other part, like the flowers and football taps, like maybe no like no like a full verse, but maybe like a few words of the verse or something. Well, the only sunshine part gives me goosebumps still now, you know. It's a beautiful way to end, you know, such an amazing song. So let's talk about Geraldine. So James James <laughs> wrote Geraldine when we were in transit between two gigs in the back of a splitter van. We were driving from London to Brighton and James had this like really puzzled look on his face that he gets sometimes he goes into like a daydream and you can tell he's kind of somewhere else and then he kind of snapped out like I've got an idea for a song Glake it that's the Scottish term a Glake it look dishevelled and, um, right. <laughs> and he was he, he was he was like I've got this idea for a song he was like so we turned up to the venue and at the sound check he was like Caroline here's the drum beat dun, 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 whatever it was and the, he was like this is the guitar part this is the bass part and the three is played it together and it was Geraldine Oh wow! And it was just—it was just like it's the only time that's ever happened like that since I've been in the band that it's been that quick. I mean, you didn't have lyrics. It wasn't like a verse to chorus sheet. You were just like, I've got this ideal, and in your head you had got the bass, the guitar, and how the drums would all go before we turned up to the next venue. And oh, wow. then after that, I think we didn't hear about it for a while until he'd finished it, you know. But then that was the beginnings, and again talking about the instinctual thing and things just popping from somewhere. You thought he didn't even have a guitar. Aye. A lot of the things that I write, I don't use a, like an instrument, but it's like black and white technicolour because when I actually sit down and play it and actually hear the chords, and it's not just imagining it. It's like kind of nice, a nice wee moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, so Geraldine was like, it was like the, the big single, right? I've heard that Lady Gaga was uh, doing cartwheels when you were playing sure. it backstage or something like that. Is that is that a true story? Yeah. We were in Tina Park and um, we had a friend who worked with Lady Gaga and she kind of knew who the band was. And yeah. I don't know maybe if you'd smoked it at that point, James. Her and James would kind of became, they'd be kind of emailing and stuff. And I just remember me and James were doing an acoustic session and there was a woman in brand pants and cartwheels in front of us. <laughs> there was nobody else wow. there. It was this wow. weird kind of backstage <laughs> thing. There was nobody else there. It just shows you how my, how bad my eyesight is and how much I don't notice. I don't notice what's in front of me when we're playing the songs. Because <laughs> really, Rab used to always, see after the gigs, Rab would say, oh, did you see the Arctic Monkeys in the front row at the gig? And I'd be like, no. Like, <laughs> I, he, he sees it. He sees everything, man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, well, it's, but, it's good, it's good, it's and, good, and to, it's good to have your eyes and your ears, you know. Uh, I, I can I can never see anything either. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I've been wearing glasses since I was 13, but... Uh, I don't see anything past the first couple of rows. I, I probably find that I'm treading water to sing and to play the guitar. That's me at my limit. Whereas <laughs> he can play the guitar and have a look. You know what I mean? Well, it's good, it's good to have a rap. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone needs a rap. Let's hear that classic track. This is Geraldine.
was the second track from Las Vegas' debut, Geraldine. The next song is It's My Own Cheating Heart That Makes Me Cry. The thing I remember about this song was probably the a couple of things, but partly was when I wrote and like, done a little recording of it and we were going to practice and Paul played it in the, in the car. I remember how the both of them reacted. It was different. Like Their reaction made me think it was it was good. Um, wow. There's some people over the years, they would talk about that song and a part really? of me, I, I don't really understand it. I, I love all the songs that we've done, all of them, but with that one, a lot of people, I think they've really liked it. I can't really understand why. There's just I, no I, second I guessing. There's just no the second guessing in it at all. That's what it is for me. Not that you can hear second guessing in people's music. You know, you, you rarely can, but I mean, this is just like, just direct to the core, just like straight out. It's bruised, it's angry, it's, it's um, you know, it's pure. It, it was really refreshing at the time and, and, and playing it again today is exactly the same. I think Rich did really well with that song as well on the recording and mixing, I think. It and that's great. Uh, Rich, Rich Costi, yeah? Rich Costi? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we recorded it in New York with him. And then we left and we started touring, so he had to kind of mix it on his own. But he was in London for a couple of days and we were in London. So we went to the studio and I think he'd mixed this and he'd mixed Daddy's Gone. He played it and it was just like... like wow. You know, it was I'm usually disappointed when I hear stuff back and it's, it's really nice to get one of those moments. Yeah, definitely. But, the, but, but that's how we start. We, that was our first experiences of that. So we, we thought it would always be like that. Yeah. This is just the yeah. way that it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? um, yeah. It's really worth noting that uh, you should enjoy these moments when, when they when they happen. I know. I know totally. I wish somebody would have told me that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> the first mix I heard was Geraldine and I thought, Oh, that's dynamite. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was this one shooting heart and then daddy's gone. And I was like, Oh, this beat this beat in a band, it's easy. So easy. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was just yeah. funny because we, we were getting mixes through we were in tour and we would get mixes through from Rich at like 10 o'clock at night so he'd be mixing in New York we would yeah. finish the gig run out to the van with all like me James with our headphones around a table around a table in the back of a splitter van listening to a mix send Rich some notes or else Rich would get up like a live stream and James would sit in a hotel room with Rich and send notes back and forward to do the like a, a new mix and stuff oh, it was I just a bit mad that, at that time Amazing. Yeah. What was that? There was a program. What was the program called that we were like communicating through? And it had to, like such a delay on it as well. So it was it had such a delay on it. So I would say to Rich, like at something about the mute, and then he would change something or no change it, and it caused the delay. It just turned into like it was a total, a total mess. You know what I mean? I don't know why we didn't use technology like a telephone. You know what I mean? I'm sure the telephone existed. You know what I mean? Here's track number three on the album. It's my own cheating heart that makes me cry.
my own cheating heart that makes me cry. Should we go on to Lonesome Swan? Lonesome Swan, for me that was just, um, I was on holiday and I was on one of those, uh, you know, those boats. It's like a swan boat. Yeah, there's some, there, there's some down the yeah. road from me actually. I, I, I've been tempted to go on. A... I, I love those things. And um, yeah, when, and then I think it was one night I was walking to the hotel and I just, you know, like when you go to a fairground and there's nobody there and there's the, yeah. the, the, the rides are like, nobody's on any of the, the, the rides or anything like that and everything's just... Yeah. And it was just, I was just walking back to the hotel and it was just one of these things that was just sitting there, you know what I mean, at the side of the road. It's just quite a weird. It's just <laughs> quite a weird thing to see. Oh yeah, <laughs> like that, that, that is. <laughs> That's where I wrote the song, and but I guess I was just thinking about probably somebody's, and maybe my own at the time as well. You know, like somebody's life, things change, things go from one thing to the other, and it's like sometimes it's a bit dusty and a bit at the side of the road like that, like that thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It was like something that maybe was shiny. And then there's something that, that happens, things just change, you know. Really interesting that you were saying before that you always thought, especially when you were younger, that, you know, everyone was the same and you know, everyone thought the same. And I, I, I still have that quite a lot now. But what, what ways do you think? Well, I just, everyone, I just always think that everyone thinks the same as I do, you know. They really don't. I've not got a brother, but I think me and Rab, I was spending a lot of time with each other growing up, especially as we've got older. Um, well, about the time when we were in the band with each other, that's when it, maybe I started to understand that. Like, I just thought, he can play the guitar, I'll play the guitar. And it would never worked out like that for me, because I realised that it took me a while to realise that he's natural and I'm not. Or there was things that I remember when, 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 we, were this, when we first started drinking, that's what it was. We first started drinking, and I remember, like, I would just drink a beer, you'd drink a beer. I'd drink a beer, you'd drink a beer. And then it just got to the point where I just couldn't walk. And I was just, and you were totally fine. I was like, how are we know the same? How are we yeah. know the exact same guys here? Uh, <laughs> I, but it's... <laughs> Time for another song. This is Lonesome Swan on Absolute Radio. So yeah, Rich Costi, who, who who did he work with before that um, you know got you interested in in working with him? We had, I actually didn't know anything about him until yeah. he phoned. So right. I, I was I think the way I remember it was when we were in the practice room. It was Rick Rubin that phoned. Actually, I was t- I was trying to tell him about the Johnny Cash thing, and I was awkward and I'm quite shy. It's like you know what I mean. Even when I first met you, Tim, uh, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean. It was just like. I just remember right, me and Tim was just like standing, it was probably quite loud and all that, and I didn't really say anything and all that, and I just remember Tim saying, I, I think I'm freaking out, man. And it was just because they both, it was the two of us were just like, he's probably the same, you know what I mean? But like, um, but it was so I saw with Rick, and, I, 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 and the thing is, nobody had my phone number. Like, I don't know how, I never really spoke to people on the phone or anything like that, or. 
So I don't even wow. know how Rick Rubin got the phone number and it wasn't like somebody had said, oh, Rick's going to phone and then maybe you would have a think about like checking out some of Rick Rubin's stuff or whatever. But, but then I think it was Rick that maybe mentioned Rich. But you, you did work with Rick later, yeah? No, we went oh, to no, Rick's because he asked me to play a song uh, on the guitar, and he had like a little tape recorder. Oh and yeah, he was just like oh wait a minute, and they press play on this tape recorder thing, and it was like Crosby, Stills and Nash or whatever. <laughs> but I didn't mean it to me because I didn't really know any of their music or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? But I, I did feel too shy. To, I, I took the guitar and I was ready to start recording this, whatever it was, and then I looked at the band and I just thought like. It was just me being younger and a bit more like uptight, I think, and shy, I guess, you know yeah. what I mean? But I felt too shy to sing, to record anything, so I just handed him the guitar back and I says, nah, I just, <laughs> I don't want to. And he, he just looked at me like, I think in his world, it's probably people just perform, they just do the thing, they just sing the songs yeah. and all that. And, and that's the way it should be, probably. You know, it was just probably me just being really uptight. So no, we never recorded that in them, but and I think there's a part of me as well, just being a bit younger. I, I I think in my mind he was telling me to dance when really all he was doing was was you know I'm in a band, and he was just yeah. wanting to record a song. But I think that after he mentioned Richard then we must have listened to a couple of things that he'd done, and I think yeah. that we just came to the conclusion oh he he'll be able to he'll be able to do it. You know what I mean? I'm glad that you've brought it up because it is an important part where. I think that the way the band's music, this is the way I would have thought about it, is that the way the band's music was and the arrangements, uh, like quite simple, like it's certain kind of things rhythmically, whatever that is and whatever he was at the time, it was just at the right thing at the right time. They're both days together. You're kind of just hoping for that, that things that come together at the right time, like the way it did, you know? Mm. We, we had that uh, with, with Chris Nagel, for sure. I mean, Shelton's first album went to number one, and, and I guess uh, that meant that there was a lot of focus on on who produced it, you know, for other bands and stuff like that, and people worked with him. And we had a we had a really interesting, complicated time making that first record, and, and it really worked. It was that kind of magic, you know? And I, and I don't know... I don't know how many times you can just, like, have that magic. It's funny that when you do have that kind of magic, that the thought towards it is more like that's the expected thing. You know, people wanted to get that sound that we created together, that it was a kind of a new thing or, 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 or whatever, but you can't just do that with everybody. It has to be, you know, it's all about the magic that, that goes on mm. in that moment. It's, it's hard to replicate. Was it the same with you where you had, like, the songs before you recorded your first album and all that? Oh, we were writing on the we were writing on the hoof, you know. We 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 didn't know how to write songs either, you know. Because it, uh, it was like more like it was more like it was like we had these songs. We knew this was the way they were meant to be, but then when and some people were quite aware of the songs before we recorded the first album as well. Mm. It's quite a funny thing that because there's people that are already aware of the music and they're waiting to to hear the album, yeah. and you're getting to record it, and it's like. It's quite a weird thing when you think about it, you know what I mean? Because you're, you're getting in and you just go to deliver it right. But if one of the things, I guess, if it would have been somebody else and no rich, it's hard for me to imagine it being any other way, I guess. Aye, that was an important part. So, uh, Go Square Go, I mean, I've got written down here, um, the battle cry of Scotland, uh, the Scottish equivalent of a duel. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I didn't know what a, a square go was, but I looked it up today, and that's kind of what it what it says. Square go. 
squiggle. I hear a go. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, it became, it's, I think to me, maybe the world's just became more civilised anyway in, in all ways, but when people used to say here we go, it would be a bit more sinister. But now mm. I mean, people sing it at like festivals and all that kind of, but that, I that's what that's, that was one of the one of the first songs, I guess, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, that, 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 that was quite far back. Actually, <laughs> I never thought we should put that on the first album. I was no, I wasn't like certain, but I was just like, oh, should we? It was you and Rich that wanted to. Yeah. There's having great ideas about writing songs, and then there's having great ideas about how to make an album sort of like feel like it complements itself, I suppose, right? Yeah. Yeah. Aye. I mean, that's that's why I, I don't like choose set lists or anything like that. I can't be trusted with that kind of responsibility, man. I was like, uh, like you know what I mean? I was like, I DJed one night, and it was like the place was like totally jumping everybody was loving it and i went into dj and the place just emptied straight away there's certain things that you just you realize man you, it's like let's stay in your lane man it's like james just set a few out man okay let's hear it this is go square go Las Vegas with Girl Square Girl. I don't know why I feel now uh, drawn towards talking about the Christmas album that he did because it, I don't know whether you call it a Christmas album, but it was kind of like that very Phil Spectory kind of thing that that I, I really loved that, and it, that was quite quickly after the record as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember when we done my first tour in America, I missed the first gig because we actually it was actually Carol Carlos Barrett. It was his fault. Oh yeah. Oh, well, um, oh, right, okay. Well, we can, so, we can uh, blame so him for a few things. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> could have a whole show about that, right? No, but it was uh, so Carl, no, it wasn't Carl's fault. I'm quite, uh, it didn't take much to lead me astray. Right, you know, yeah, but yeah. we had uh, like a, we had one of those embassy meetings for the to get the thing to go to America. And me and Carol went out one night after we played a show in London. And... I think it was was it Echo and the Bunny Men, and we were supposed to do a gig with him in America as well, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And what happened was, uh, and Mark, uh, the singer for Echo and the Bunny Men, was raging because I wasn't there, because he's the guy that doesn't turn up, and then I was the guy that didn't turn up, but I didn't mean to not turn up. It was just like I ended up in some house in the morning, and it was just like I just realised that whose house was I'd it, James? The thing. It was somebody for like Coronation Street or something like that. I don't know. And the only reason I knew is because when I was going to the toilet, I recognised for the photograph that was the wedding photograph that was on the wall. But I missed the embassy, but I, I remember when I was on the flight, because the, the, yeah. the, the band just went to America anyhow. But that's when I wrote the words for the Christmas album. It was on the flight. So it was a good thing that I had like, I don't know, it was at like nine hours or something, eight hours or something. Because I remember I had these wee yellow sticky note things. Wow. Because at that time, it's quite hard to uh, have that time. Uh, when you're forced into having a quiet moment, you know, especially when Carlos Barrett and all that's a bit, you know what I mean? Uh, so the flight was quite good for that. Aye. Paul Mont on my mind. So I think this was somebody you knew from football, James, where the kind of idea for this Aye. came from, is that right? Aye, it was just when I played football, it was like uh, there was a, a guy who 
was at a prison called Pullman and he came in to help the groundsman. It must have been some kind of like thing where he would do some work outside the, the prison or whatever. And I remember a lot of the guys in the team, I was just a young boy and in, in, the, in the team at the time, but I remember a lot of the older guys just didn't say anything to him, didn't give a that he was there kind of thing. And I, I just started talking to him and stuff like that. And he was telling us what was happening and all that, what, how, why he was there and why he was in prison and all that. And it was kind of a, a weird thing. It was like a, a thing that happened where he was just on a night out. And it was just basically, he, he was a footballer as well. He was yeah. on a night out and a fight happened. And you know, like a lot of these things with the songs, it's probably things that people have told me that shocked me or that's made me think a lot. And it's and it's somehow that's ended up just being in the music and that just stuck my mind, you know what I mean? It was yeah. always a lot of these things that maybe, you know, with flowers and football tops and all that and Daddy's Gone and all that, it wasn't like my first thought every day that I was living. It was just, but it was always about two or three thoughts away. Because this situation that you were in or the you know where, where you were growing up and what you saw around you I guess I guess that's it right I you know it's the things that maybe hurt you things that you hope for things that you yeah. fear and all that you know there's probably a cue of thoughts that you've got and and it, things will move further away and you know what I mean it's like and I think a lot of these things that maybe was in the album there was probably always just you know things that I wouldn't think about now and again you know when I think about what circumstances I live in, I probably more think about things like I'm married and all that. And when you think back to the other times, you're just uh, littlest hobo. You know what I mean? Such a great <laughs> one. <laughs> Was it nominated for a Mercury Prize? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You were in the kind of eye of the storm, really. And, and I wonder how that felt. I knew that at the time when we were recording that first album, although I had not like any other experiences to like, you know, compare it against, but something felt quite magical. The air smelled quite beautiful and it was just like something special about the time. And then we would go to New York to record the first album and we'd just sign to like uh, Columbia yeah. Records. It makes us probably sound quite spoiled, I guess, and maybe we were quite spoiled, you know. I mean, you can tell when you went to the record label and it was like, there was always a fuss made over the band and there was a lot of love as well that was like people would be really quite passionate about yeah. All the steps of the way with the recording. And I think they were quite cool where they would let you do your thing, but they would try and be quite encouraging and quite passionate about it as well. But you, you, you felt like the world was revolving around you, you know what I mean? And you're on like maybe youthful and narcissistic way, you know what I mean? It did feel like that even in the band where you think it's an important thing that what you're doing, uh, I don't mean like it's an important thing for the planet, I just mean for you, a lot of your conversations, a lot of your thought space, it would revolve around you in a way that's not really that normal, you know what I mean? Uh, it's but quite it was, satisfying though, isn't it? It was cool. Alright, this is track six, Polmont on my mind. Six from Las Vegas. 
Polmont on my mind. It's Tim Burgess here for a listening party. We had to say goodbye to Rob during that track, but I'm still joined by James. I mean, Daddy's gone. I mean, I, I, I heard this before the album came out. I think before yeah. it was even a single, maybe even when it was a demo, and f- probably through Carl Barra, and, and um, it was just like, you know, one of those songs that you just like remember for a, for a long time after. Can you set the scene about how it came about? And like for those people who don't know the song, what motiv- motivated you to write it? I think it's one of the things that I never really knew what would happen with the song. You know, I never thought about that, like with any of the songs. And it's, so it's before you had a deal and stuff like it, that. You know, it's like when I, when I thought about right, what would be what what would it be like being in a band? And I imagined it would probably be like Saturday Night Fever or something like that, and it'll be like some like disco tune, and it'll be like it'll be totally happy, and it'll be everything will be glorious, and it'll be everybody will be like applauding, and it'll be great. But then it just seemed to be that with a song like Daddy's Gone, that it was one of these songs that through the years it's like so people would connect with your music, but it might be something then that is like, it could be about Daddy's Gone or something else that, that might be something that you wrote at that time. But if you were given the choice, would you really want to revisit that every night, uh, singing it and stuff? Right, right. But I guess who, who cares? Because it's just, that's the deal. You know, it's like you've, if you do something like that and then somebody connects with it, then that's just, you're lucky that anybody gives a shit, you know? But it's it's quite a strange song because it's like I think over the years it's like one of those songs that I've kind of thought about it. Like when I've thought about the song, like I've I've seen a different picture through the years wow. than the picture that I've maybe see when I was younger, you know. And then because it's like you you write you write the song and then people become aware of the song and people connect with the song and then. But then you've got the the other side of it where you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings and you probably have hurt, hurt somebody's feelings by writing that and everybody knowing about it and and saying it in, in the way that I've said it as well. So then you kind of like, you feel bad about that. But then it also, in time, I started to, there was probably a phase where I would think that I was so stupid. Like, and I would just think that that, that it was so naive kind of thing for me to actually write something thinking that I know anything about that. I don't know anything about anything. I think that you would be a phase where I would think about it like that. But then it, it changes again into something else where it's still your song and it's still a lot of your thoughts and memories. But you understand that that's not the only way that you feel about it. And a song, a song can only be a few minutes long. so. And it's a story, so it's not your duty to give it, uh, everybody like, every single angle and complicated, uh, either positive or negative thing. But it was just, it was just a wee song, and this was, this was the way the song was, you yeah. know. So don't beat, so don't beat yourself up because you didn't say, oh, but the thing is, my, my dad's like this or my dad's like this, and this is a good thing. And I, don't beat yourself up about that. It's just that's just the way that that one worked it. It's one of the, the songs that I've had so many people over the years that have come up to me and, and like, it's Moan Cheating Heart. I think Daddy's Gone's another song that I've just been quite confused that if anybody has kind of connected with it. But how do you find it when people, they, they say about, you know, how they feel about the music that you've that you've made that, that there's a part that's quite confusing, isn't there? Isn't there? I always used to kind of like, uh, I, I never really used to take it seriously, if you know what I mean. Maybe because part of me has to do it. So I have to do it. 
Therefore, when I've done it, it's a relief, in a way. Mm. And, um. and and it's and, and it's not even whether it's the story. It's all about the kind of like the uh, placing things together, putting things in order, doing things in a in a, in a way that it's cohesive to me. Um, mm-hmm. And and that, you know, for no better of a word, sometimes it's you know. And and it takes a lot of time, and it's a lot of a lot of energy, and 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 it's a and it's a real drive that's kind of uncontrollable in in a, in a way. It sounds really dark and disturbing, but it's 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 just at the end of the day, it's the way it has writing stuff on a, on a piece of paper or writing stuff on a laptop. It's often enjoyable, but when people say stuff to me now, I, I really take pride in it, you know. And I think I, I think I kind of like have to to make me make myself feel that I've really achieved something, and it's kind of quite cool. Uh, it's just you, it's you feeling like it's right. It's like yeah, it's yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Hard, it's hard to measure. It's hard to measure. Oh, is that good? Is bad? I don't know if it being good or anything like that. But I just know it's right. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, me, exactly. You know what I mean? That, 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 and, 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 but then and if and I was good. to go back and do it again, I would probably do it different and know it's good. Just write another song. <laughs> <laughs> This is Daddy's Gone, the next track from Las Vegas' debut. Let's go to Stabbed. What was the idea about, you know, doing the kind of... Is it Beethoven, is it? If no, we don't get any happy right? songs. If we don't get any happy well, songs, man. I mean, like, Jesus. I, I, I don't... Th- I don't... <sighs> I don't think so. <laughs> we can't have happy songs with our face like that, Tim. <laughs> you, we can't. You, I think it's important to, for people to know where this album came from, what was going on. And, you know, I mean, mm. it's not... It's not... It doesn't sound happy at all. But it sounds convincing and real and 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 that's i think you know the i mean the the point of it all really i mean this mm. album came out of nowhere and it was like a, a real look at society that not everyone's aware of i uh, the things that i would maybe just fear or think about that would just jump into the songs you know i've never been stung by a wasp and i've never been stabbed and i don't want either of them to happen to me you know what I mean, yeah. and I think that it just—it's just that there's certain things you've never experienced them, and you hear about other people that have, and then it, a lot in my my childhood was like that. It's just your luck, you know what I mean, and it was—it's just—it's just my life, no my life personally, but it's like you know the the life that is run about, yeah. You know, it's quite a normal, yeah. a normal thing, but it's obviously a thing that it would stuck in my mind enough that it would make it in the songs when I was speaking the words in the song. It's a cool memory. One of my favourite memories I recorded in the album, and it was my, my friend Paul that was playing the piano. I knew I, I, something felt quite special when I was speaking the words and Paul was playing the piano. Um, there was something special about that. It made me feel like so I was a, a, a Moonlight Sonata, yeah? Moonlight Sonata? Yeah, yeah. It felt like a real rock and roll experience kind of thing. It was like I was in a rock and roll band. It was like, this is a real thing. You know what I mean? When, when he was doing that and I was speaking. Let's play the next song. This is called Stabbed. I had my choice 
I took my choice That was to stand and fight the fleet of boys But now I find myself Running for my life I seen their swords and their knives And I changed my mind James, tell me about the next song on your debut, Sad Light, S-A-D Light. This was one of the first songs that I, for whatever reason, that I was supposed to sing when we were in the studio. And mm-hmm. and uh, we had like a five, it was like a five minute drive for like, it was in Park Slope, for Park Slope in Brooklyn to the studio. Right. And uh, that's the first time we'd been to like, been to America and stuff like that. And uh, that was really cool, just being there for the first time and, and we'd have this fa- it was like you know it was, it was like a five minute taxi ride but it, it, if you were walking it it would be too long but when I was sang that I, I, there was something about it I just felt like it, I just felt like it was just no right and I just felt rubbish about it and I remember walking home for the studio that night it was just like I think it, it was just one of the things where I was too stupid and too daft to know anything about anxiety but in my mind I was just like I, I don't think we should make the album anymore I don't think we should oh, do wow. it because we can't wow, wow, wow. we can't do it because I can't I cannot sing it I can't sing it doesn't sound good it's no it was something that was just in my head about it and then the next day when I came in to sing the song because you know sometimes when you feel it that about think the next day it's never it's never that bad you know what I mean when I was in the studio the next day I was like see what happens and and Rich, it was Rich that said, uh, like, you know, why don't you just no sing in the big fancy thing? Why do you just, we'll just get the mic and we'll just sit at the yeah. at the desk. Yeah, you know, yeah. he had a few mics set up. Uh, and then I sang it and it was, it felt like one extreme to the other, over dramatic. Oh, let's end the band and then, <laughs> oh, everything's great. Everything's great again, you know. But those little simple things, it was like, that he, he was good at that. There was a few bits, there was a bit in that's more treating heart but I sang and my throat was getting sore and I couldn't, I couldn't do it or something like that. And he was just like, try this. And it's not something you would expect that would be a technique, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he told me this and then I've, and I, I'd still do it now. You know, he, he had a, a good little ideas like that. Here's track nine on Las Vegas, SAD Light. was one of my favourite ones, I think. Maybe my favourite. Do you, do you, do you think were, that's why you chose you know, it as the last song? It was that thing again, but I think it just seemed like that was the end to the to the album. But no, maybe because like maybe I, I, I liked it in a certain way, but it was something, that, and I think with the, with the way that it goes at the end, where it's sort of, I just keep going, getting louder, and it gets yeah, louder, yeah, and it yeah, gets yeah, louder yeah, right at the end yeah. of the song. Yeah. And that was, that's another thing. It's like, I would write the parts, and I would do the thing, and imagine it to be a certain way. But still... I'd need to give Rich credit, you know, that 
this is one thing you think that, but another's like actually doing it in that way. You know what I mean? And, it's, um, a, it's an amazing way to end the album. You know, on a, it's such an epic. You know, I know it, that's the thing with the, with the, a lot of the Ice Cream Van, maybe more than any other song. And but but with the album in general, when I think about the album, I think about things that are not really directed to the songs in the album, but but it is my childhood. It's like, you know, the, the pavement, the concrete, how it feels like when you're sitting on it. When I hear the, the album, I can, it feels really familiar, you know, to childhood. When I hear the record, uh, I can see things in my childhood that I've maybe th- forgotten about. Or, uh, it's like the sound of the album sounds like Glasgow. Yeah, You know, agreed. it's like, th- that. Th- that's my Glasgow, you know, and that's what Glasgow yeah. looks like. I get it. I love it and I just want to say it's been such a, an amazing sort of like uh, pleasure listening to this record again with you we've done listening passes in the past on, on, on Twitter but this has been pretty special uh, you know so, so so thanks to uh, Rab and to you James uh, honestly no thank you thank you so much and sitting going through all these songs where I was and Showing it all the love and all that, it's like, no, thank you. We're two lucky guys, man. Let's hear the final track on Las Vegas debut, Ice Cream Van. Ice Cream Van, concluding the listening party on Absolute Radio. Thank you to James and Rab Allen for taking me through Las Vegas' debut. At this point in the listening party, I'd like to recommend a few records that I've been listening to this past week. The first one I'm going to recommend is Tasty Fish by The Other Two. The Other Two is Stephen and Gillian from New Order. And, um, yeah, I've just been reaching into my pile of records and, uh, and that's one I pulled out the other day. Uh, I'm going to pull out an old one by Danny Brown. It's called You Know What I'm Saying. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's brilliant. Track called Tears, features Run the Jewels, and um, features Blood Orange too. And that's a, that's, that's a, that's a great one. The Cramps, I've uh, been listening to that. I've uh, still got that pulled out. And that's A, a Date with Elvis. Uh, some uh, great ones on that. And a compilation, uh, I guess another old one, uh, Soul Jazz Records, and it's called Fly Girls. And um, it's a compilation, if I've not already said that, uh, featuring JJ Fad, Princess MC, and Sweet Tea, amongst others. Every song in this episode of My Listening Party was taken from Las Vegas' self-titled debut album. All tracks are written by James Allen, unless otherwise stated. The album was released on Columbia in September 2008. See you next time. Absolute Radio, telling the story behind another iconic album with Tim Burgess. Get involved using the hashtag Tim's Twitter Listening Party.